Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. This is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my YouTube channel for Context for Kids. This week, we're going to talk about a major theme of the scriptures, one that pops up over and over again. So what's a theme? Well, a theme is a subject or a topic of a book or a conversation. I'll give you some examples. If you read a book about a Christian missionary, for example, you might see the theme of courage, which means being brave when times are tough. You might other see other themes like love and sacrifice. You know, sometimes missionaries suffer terribly in order to bring God's love to people who do not know him. If you've read The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, or if you saw the movie, then you will understand that the themes of that book are loyalty, forgiveness, love, and the battle between good and evil. And the Bible has many themes. In fact, it has more themes than most books. We've already talked about the battle between good and evil, and now we're going to talk about exile, because that's what happens to Adam and Eve at the end of Genesis 3 and where they will be for the rest of their life. Now, exile is what we call it when you've been forced out of your home and you can't go back because someone or a lot of someones have the power to keep you away. Adam and Eve were in the garden, God's garden. But they sinned so terribly that he forced them out and posted the very scary cherubim at the entrance so they couldn't come back. And those cherubim were really terrifying with four wings and four faces and ox legs. And they also had flaming swords. So, you know, ain't nobody going back in there. No matter how difficult life got on the outside, they lived the rest of their lives in exile. Their children and all of their descendants were born in exile. But this isn't the only time in the Bible that we see the theme of exile. Hundreds of years after giving the land of Israel to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God had to send them out of the promised land too. By this time, they'd split into two different competing kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But like Adam and Eve... They rejected God, and on top of that, they were abusing one another and began worshiping other gods. Even in God's very own temple. Can you believe it? The northern kingdom set up calves, you know, like little baby cows, and directed the people to sacrifice to them. We'll talk about sacrifices in a couple of weeks. And after many hundreds of years of being warned by God's prophets, God allowed the Assyrians to attack and defeat them, and they took all the survivors and forced them to live in other countries in 722 BCE. And they were never heard from again. The southern kingdom of Judah was faithful to God for a longer but in the end, they did terrible things in God's temple and were wicked to one another. And after hundreds of years of being warned by God's prophets, God allowed the Babylonians to destroy the temple 
destroyed Jerusalem's walls and most of the city, and made all but the poorest people leave the land over the course of the first half of the 6th century BCE. Now, although the Jews were allowed to return 70 years later, they weren't an independent nation anymore, which means they didn't have their own kings. They had to serve foreign kings like Cyrus and Darius, which means they had to pay money and taxes to those kings too. In the prayers of Ezra the priest and Nehemiah the governor, we see that they still thought of themselves as slaves and in exile. They were home, but it wasn't their home anymore. It belonged to those foreign kings. In 70 of the Common Era, I use Common Era instead of AD. It's, it's kind of a complicated story, but since AD and CE, neither of them are in the Bible, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean. Forty years after Jesus was killed and rose from the dead, the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was sacked. The Jews who had lived there were exiled from Jerusalem and Judea. Many were captured and sent away as slaves, but others escaped and fled to many other places to set up Jewish communities there or to join Jewish communities that were already set up. In each case, people were warned. God said, do not eat the fruit of that tree or you will die. Adam and Eve didn't listen. God said to the northern and southern kingdoms through his prophets, stop worshiping other gods or the land will spit you out. By that, he meant that they wouldn't be able to live there anymore. They would be exiled and have to live in other places and not God's good land. John the Baptist and Jesus both warned the Jewish people of the first century to repent and return to God. But the people wanted a violent Messiah who would destroy the cruel Romans. They didn't want a loving and peaceful lamb who would die to save anyone who believed in him, even the cruel Romans. Now, exile in the Bible is what happens when we repeatedly refuse to listen to God. Now, there are also a lot of exiles in the world today who haven't done anything wrong. War comes to their country and they're caught in the middle and they end up as refugees living in other countries. But when we see it in the Bible, exile is because people have rejected God and God decides he doesn't want them living in his land anymore until he's ready to lead them back. Not everyone in the world who is exiled is exiled because of their own sins. Most are innocent and it is never because God doesn't love them. Even in the cases in the Bible, God never hated his people. He just has to give them a huge reality check so they know that he deserves our absolute allegiance. Imagine living in someone else's house and doing everything you can to ignore them or disrespect them or steal from them or hurt them or whatever. When that happens, you get kicked out. Sometimes parents even have to kick their own kids out of the house. Not because they don't love them, but because they're behaving so badly that they're hurting the entire family and they need to know what life is like when things aren't so easy. Life was easy in the garden. <laughs> life was also very good in the land of Israel. But the Bible tells us that sometimes when life is really good, 
that we stop behaving ourselves. Moses told the children that one day when they were overfed and happy because the land God was giving them was so good, that they'd get all uppity and would refuse to listen to God. Moses told them that God would boot them from the land if they did that. But people stopped listening. God finally had to send them away. We have to be careful too, because a lot of times we only want God when we're scared or when someone is hurting us or when we need something. When we have everything we want, like Adam and Eve and the children of Israel, it's easy to forget how much we need God. Heck, the food doesn't even grow if we don't take the seeds from what he created and planted in the soil he made and water it with the water he made from scratch. It's funny how we forget all that. We can't do anything without him and not even ourselves because he made us too. But Adam and Eve decided that they would make better gods for themselves than God. And so God is like, okay, guys, let's see you make paradise out of this unhospitable ground outside the garden. But they were still working with stuff God created, so they didn't even have to start from scratch. But still, they were going to have to struggle for their entire lives. They, like the ancient Israelites, had to be, you know, they had it made in the shade. But they wanted more than everything. They wanted to be independent, to decide who to listen to and who, what to do and, and who to follow and trust. And we do that, too. And we usually do it for really dumb reasons. Adam and Eve lost life in the garden. The Israelites lost their good lives in the promised land. For dumb reasons. But that isn't all they lost. Adam and Eve traded a life of tending a garden and worshiping and obeying God for a hard life trying to survive. They traded paradise for constant hardship and struggle. The Israelites traded having homes and lands given them to to them by God in exchange for struggling as refugees in other people's countries where they worshipped other gods. Although, you know, they didn't really care about that part because that's why they got kicked out for doing the exact same thing. When they all disobeyed God and got kicked out of their homes he had given them, they also lost the presence of God in their lives. Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you just imagine what the Sabbaths were like? The Israelites lost access to God's presence in the temple in Jerusalem, and even though the temple was rebuilt when they returned to Israel, God's presence was never there again, according to the Bible. God even told them to rebuild it through Haggai the prophet, but his presence never lived in the temple again. Exile always changes things, permanently. They could never go back to how good it was before. But is this all about Adam and Eve and the Israelites? Not at all. The one who suffered the most because of the exile is actually God. And that might shock you, but it has to do with why he created us and why he made the garden and why he has done everything he's done since then. Now, God didn't create humans and plant a garden to put them in it so that humans could get to be with him or so that he could watch them like they were in a zoo. God created humans because he wanted to be with us. How do I know this? 
because at the end of the Bible, we are all living again with God in a huge city, New Jerusalem. Why do you think God would do it if he doesn't really, really, really want to be with us? As to why on earth God would want to be with us when we can act like such goober heads is quite beyond me. But God is love, and love needs someone to love. It's God's nature to love and to do good. Just look at the world all around us and how beautiful it is. Look at the different types of food. He could have just made one type of food and we'd all eat it and we would never notice how boring it is. It would just be like breathing. Just another thing we do. Did he have to make spices? Not at all. Did he have to make sugar and chocolate? No. We wouldn't have missed them if nothing was sweet and we never even knew any better. But the first thing he gave people was sweet fruit. Have you ever considered how kind that was? Not only to give us food, but to give us so many wonderful tastes. A God like that, who is kind in the smallest of things, is the kind of God who really knows how to love. In fact, he invented love. And he invented all the different ways to love us through his kindness. Think of your eyes and ears and everything that can be seen and heard. Think of your fingers and all the different things you can touch. Think about how a cat's fur feels, or the grass, or the warmth of the sun. Think of the smell of hot buttered popcorn, which never, I need to say right now, tastes as good as it smells. Think about hugs and how good hugs feel when you love someone or when you're sad. Do you think that a God who would create such spectacular experiences doesn't want to share them with us? Do you think he really wants to be far away and not enjoy watching us enjoy his good creation? God planted the garden so that he could share in all those things with humans. So how much do you think it hurt God to have to send Adam and Eve out of the garden? And do you think he just abandoned them once they were on the outside? To answer those questions, we need to keep reading all the way to the end. Can a God who sent people out of the garden be trusted? Yes, he can, because as we will see in Genesis 4 and throughout the rest of the Bible, exile doesn't mean abandoned. We're going to see God talking to Cain, and Cain wasn't treating their conversation like it was even a strange thing. He talks right back to God as though this happened all the time. If Cain was talking to God, then we can be sure Adam and even Abel talked with him as well. And when Cain finds himself exiled away from his family later on in the chapter, we see that it's Cain's choice to stop talking with God, not God's decision. God has promised in his word to never truly leave or forsake us. In the Bible, we're going to see him talking to murderers, liars, and to people who commit all terrible kinds of sins. And... As you go through your own lives, you will hear amazing stories about God talking to all sorts of people, maybe even people you don't think he should talk to. But God is loving and forgiving and never gives up on us, not until our dying breath. He's not like us. Sometimes when we face the consequences for the bad things we do, we get angry at everyone except ourselves. A lot of times we get angry at God. Maybe Adam and Eve got mad at God. I don't know. And you might ask, why did God allow Adam and Eve the free will 
to make the choice, excuse me, to do the wrong thing if they were going to end up exiled from God's garden? You know, that's a tough question, and grown-ups have been talking about that forever. Free will is hard to understand. Sometimes it doesn't seem fair that God gave us free will, which means the ability to choose to obey or disobey God or our parents, to do good or to do bad, to make our own choices. Why didn't he just create more animals who had to obey him because they aren't smart enough to figure out there was an alternative, another option? But then we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to be puppets? Imagine going through life with no control over your arms and legs and where they take you and what they can do. Imagine being nothing but a brain that you can't even control. A robot! You couldn't think your own thoughts or make your own decisions. It doesn't matter if you don't want to eat tofu pizza with sardines and pineapple and mustard tonight for dinner because you can't stop yourself from eating it. Bon appetit! And maybe that sounds a bit extreme. Maybe you just think it would be nice if we weren't able to make bad decisions. That maybe God would hit a switch and make us want to do good all the time. Maybe, and this is a lot more likely, you just want God to control the people who are mean to you. I think we've all wanted that. And I think we have all had times where we feel badly about having done something awful and we might pray, God, why didn't you stop me from doing that? But if he had tried, would we have listened? A lot of times the answer's no. We want to do what we did and we weren't in the listening mood. If all of a sudden we found ourselves pushed to the side in our own brains and listened to our mouths saying things we don't want to say and watching as our bodies do things we don't want to do, how would we feel about that? I can tell you right away that no matter how much you regret doing the wrong thing later, you would hate that even more. It would be totally creepy. We'd be angry at God. We'd feel betrayed. We'd feel like robots or toys and not like humans at all. What good does it do when we do the right thing if we didn't have any choice? We'd be very angry and we'd start hating God real quick. Our lives would consist of doing absolutely everything God wants us to do. So the whole, the world would be a more peaceful place, of course, as long as he did it to everyone and not just us. So that would be nice. But it would be more like we were on a couch watching a movie about someone else's life. And that would be incredibly boring. You might say, well, can't he just control the people I don't like? The people who are mean to me? Well, how can he control them without controlling everyone? Would it be okay if somebody else had no choices to make with, about their own life? Would the things they do mean anything if they had no choice? Let me ask this. Would you feel good about yourself if God made everyone your friend? Would you feel like you were loved if they had no choice? If they were all nice to you, but... You had no idea what they were really feeling on the inside? Well, how about your parents? Do you want robots for parents who don't actually love you? They're just being forced to take care of you. It wouldn't take long before you figured out that life wasn't very real if no one had any choices. Instead, I want you to think about all the wonderful things people have done for you. Because God gives us choices 
People did those things for you because they wanted to. They did them because they love you. They think you're worth doing nice things for. They had choices to make about what they wanted to do with their day and chose to do them with you. And you can know that for sure because they're not robots being controlled from a computer somewhere. In fact, let me tell you something. I'm a chemist. I could go to work in a lab and make a bunch of money, but God gave me a choice. He wanted me to teach the Bible instead, but I've always had the power to say no to him. He won't stop me. He would talk to me and tell me that this isn't what he wants for my life, that he created me to be a Bible teacher and specifically to teach you kids. That's why he taught me to teach adults first. I could say no. I could even just teach grown-ups and not do the extra work to teach you. That's my choice. But I love God and me doing this makes him happy. And you learning about the Bible and learning about Jesus is important to me. So I used my free will and I said no to being a chemist and I'm teaching you instead. So you can know that I love you and that spending time studying and writing up scripts for broadcasts and spending money on books and websites. That's how I'm using my free will because you are all worth it. Even if it was just you, you would be worth all this. But if God was just forcing me to do it, I'd be pretty unhappy about it. And then God wouldn't be happy because on the inside, I would be thinking terrible thoughts about him controlling my life. But you should know that I wasn't always the kind of person who would want to make this choice. He had to change me little by little. So I don't want you to worry about not being perfect or about the things you think sometimes. Trust God. Trust in Jesus. Be confident that he can change the things you don't like about yourself so that you can choose to make decisions you will be proud of on your own without God treating you like a puppet. Now, last week, I taught you who Jesus is. I shared the gospel message with you. How about Jesus? Do you think he had the free will to make his own choices? I can prove to you that he had the choice to say no, but he chose to say yes instead. I can prove it in two places. When he was tempted and on the night of his arrest. Now I'm going to tell you something that might sound strange at first. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, it wasn't like the first time they'd ever met. I mean, think about it. Jesus is God's creative and powerful word. Everything that was created was created by him. Satan knew who Jesus was, and he wouldn't have wasted time trying to tempt him if he knew that Jesus was just some sort of puppet controlled by his father. I mean, why waste the time? Jesus could have chosen to be prideful and make rocks into loaves of bread in order to prove that he was the Son of God, but he didn't. Jesus could have jumped down from the top of the temple sanctuary on Yom Kippur with everyone looking and proved he was the Messiah, and everyone would have believed him then, and he wouldn't have had to preach and be rejected and go through all that hassle, but he didn't. And he could have taken the easy way out and just worshipped Satan and become the king over all the world without following the plan that would lead him to be betrayed, tortured, and then crucified. But as we learned last week, that's what had to happen in order to save the whole world from Satan and sin and death. Jesus had a choice to make. Take the easy way out and be a king the way humans become kings, or to be a king God's way. He chose to follow the plan of God and not Satan. Satan will always give us something that looks like a better alternative, 
but never is. What about in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus cried out to God, his father, because the plan was going to be terribly hurtful. It was going to be humiliating, and it was going to hurt worse than anything we can possibly imagine. No one would want to suffer like that. Jesus wasn't a robot. He would feel all that sadness and the hatred people felt for him, and he would feel all that pain. Jesus said, is there any other way? If there is, can we do it another way? But there was no other way. And so he made the choice to love us completely with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he died for us. He died instead of us. And that's why we can trust him absolutely and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. As you guys grow older and you read the Bible for yourselves, you're going to find a lot of times when Jesus could have taken the easy way out. But he didn't. And he didn't because he loves you. And I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I hope you have a wonderful week studying the scriptures with the people who love you.